Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Who coughed? Did you cough? It, it, it was me. I apologize. <laughs> All right, we're not starting over again, Tom. So third, third time's charm. Third time's a charm. Third Tom's time. here. The cougher that would have been Corey Bryant, and Hunter Bowman's here too. So we have our two. Are y'all the two newest? Two, well, two not quite, of the newest. Two of the newest. Yes. DREC folks with us this morning. Corey's been on with us. Well, Hunter Hunter has too. Corey, you've been here for what eight months? Roughly. Yeah, October. October. When you got back, mm-hmm. and Hunter's been here. I'm not sure when I officially started. Hunter's maybe not officially. They're still dealing with some paperwork. Hunter's been here for a while, but we're glad to have both of y'all here this morning. And we're just going to kind of talk about how you're feeling about the season and your elected choice to come back to work within academia. We've spun back up on our number of people that grew up in South Arkansas. We had three, then we were down to one. Now we're back up to three. Crutes wasn't technically from South Arkansas, but he was from the Delta. So Crutes was from Blyville. Bobby was from Hamburg. Tom, you're not from Arkansas, obviously. No, and I can almost pick and choose where I'm from. I was born in Pittsburgh. You claim a lot of different places. I claim Pittsburgh, but I can claim Northeast Ohio, too, in part because Pittsburgh and Cleveland are basically 90 miles apart. I never lived in Cleveland, but I did live in Akron. And then you claim Alabama when it's convenient for you. Well, I went to school in Alabama and married a girl from Alabama and lived there for a long period of time. Have so, you been yeah. staying up and watching those Auburn baseball games? No. Since they don't start till 10 o'clock at night? Nope. Oof. Man, the West Coast games are brutal. Tom, after we did the first episode with Hunter, was that like a week later you text me about your mom? Well, you, So you're in the Mexican restaurant in Mariana and people are Giving questioning mom. your mom about not frying food for you. So Hunter texts me and tells me that, and I confess, I had no idea what he was talking about. Then he reminded me that on the podcast, he said that folks in Mississippi fry more things than uh, folks in Arkansas, which the difference has got to be. My hey. mom just wasn't a big fryer. <laughs> I guess maybe I should have put it that way. My mother never fried anything. Exactly. When she comes to visit, it's cooking is a totally different thing for her. We fry deer meat, and that's about it in my family. Fish. Yeah. Corey, Tom mentioned a couple things when we did that episode with Hunter. What is the oddest thing that you've ever eaten that was fried? I'm not sure I've I've ever had something that odd that was fried. I mean, you're... They have fried anything weird in Iraq? I just say I eat in the chow hall, so uh, <laughs> everything there's probably served on a stick. Uh, right, I've I've never was sure what I was eating there, yeah. and and I didn't question it. You know, they you're you're in Taji, Iraq, north of Baghdad, and the menu comes down, and they're like, "Oh, we're having tilapia today." Uh, it doesn't look like tilapia; it's probably Tigris or Euphrates River bass. But <laughs> I just I never questioned. What they served us there, I looked at what they called it and ate it. I know probably the, I maybe fried ribs, and and that was shortly after I got back here at the rice meeting in Bolivar County. Uh, that was the first time I've had fried ribs. They they were really I'd never had that before. Man, they are good. Fried that, ice cream. Explain that one to me. 
Yeah, I guess I've had, you know, fried Twinkies and fried Snickers, you know. State fair. State fair, state fair kind of food. I guess I don't consider that weird because if you go to the state fair in Arkansas, you you get fried desserts. We've reached the midpoint in the season. Hunter, how you feel? How's everything going? Everything's good. Part of my decision to stay here was because I like having a lot of things to do and I like being busy. Um, I get bored very quickly. And uh, I think I definitely achieved the staying busy part and having a lot of things going on at once. You know, we're kind of getting to the point where we're fertilizing and flooding our rice here on the station. So things are kind of slowing down for us on that side of things. Starting to get some field calls, getting to go out and doing that. Learning how to budget very quickly for the research program. Luckily, Dr. Bryant, Corey, has uh, had a lot of summer help this year, and he's lent them to me, helped me get through the busy part. Other than that, I don't, I don't really have a whole lot. Uh, things are going good right now. If you'd asked me last week, I was probably freaking out, stressed out with everything that I had to do. But this week, it's looking pretty good. It's, it's the week-to-week hurdles at this place. Have you completely destroyed anything yet? Sprayed the wrong test? Not yet. <laughs> there was one that was going to be a little complicated, so we planted extra so that we could, you know, if we messed it up the first time, we could move it. But luckily, we only messed up one plot when we sprayed it the first time. So we're going to call that one a survivor. And there's the one for me that you didn't spray. Yeah. I thought you were <laughs> handling that. My bad. It's all right. Only half of it looks bad. Did you learn how to attach poly pipe to the riser? Yeah, we got that. Too. Okay. We, we flooded Corey's rice last week. The poly pipe came loose from the riser. And he texted me that afternoon and asked me if I was trying to flood his corn. I said, no, but it didn't rain last night. And I just kind of left it at that. I didn't tell him about the poly pipe coming loose. So, Tom, you're talking about Hunter's first year. Hunter, in just a few weeks, has managed to be the first person in the time since I've been here that ran water up and over the airstrip. And for those of you don't, that don't know what the airstrip is, that's a big, wide, built-up turn row that goes up through the north part of DREC. So Hunter managed to push water up and over it. That was at one time an actual yep. airstrip because Hence there's the name. still a hangar there where they actually had the DREC airplane. So impressive pushing My the thought water. was we had 15-inch pipe. We don't run the well very fast. Surely it'll make it, which is probably why it blew off the riser at first, but we got that taken care of. This is Hunter's first summer since he got through school. Corey, on the other hand, for those of you that might not have heard the episode when we introduced Corey last year, Corey spent a couple years in Georgia. He left DREC after he graduated, spent a couple years in Tifton, Georgia, and came back. So Corey got a little bit of time on Hunter as far as managing the types of work that he does. But this is his first year back at Stoneville. So, Corey, how you feel about your operation so far? So far, I'm feeling all right. Kind of, kind of like Hunter. If you'd asked me last week or a couple of weeks ago, it might be a different answer. But uh, got caught up now. Got uh, got all our fertilizers out, doing tissue sampling, ratings, all that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, it was it was kind of hit or miss there there at the beginning. Got planted and then rain and rain and was sitting there looking. It's like I've got treatments that have to go out and I can't get in the field and we're just getting behind that, that, that was pretty stressful and like, like you said I had two years in in Georgia the first year I started in January so I had a I think one trial and then a couple of the the corn seed companies gave me some seed to just 
play around with. So that's pretty much just doing extension calls. And then uh, my last year in Georgia, I think I had six or seven trials and it's nothing too bad and then get here and I've got uh I think 40 something trials this year so that was that, that was kind of an eye opener and a game changer run, running that many and trying to figure that out and how to stay on top of everything but feeling a lot better now need to get some grad students in so I can have more people to do sampling and field work and, <laughs> and stuff like that I think that's one of the struggles on this experiment station throughout this time of the year is latching on to some good graduate students from somewhere and bringing them here. And that, that's a logistical thing. Lots of times it's hard because you got to go to campus for classes, but you, you both overcame that issue because neither of you were from this general geography. You came here from somewhere else, lived here and then drove back and forth from campus. How are you going to market that issue to graduate students in the future? So for me personally, I bought a $2,600 Prius to survive all that driving. That's my recommendation is $2,600 Prius, especially with gas prices being almost $5 a gallon. <laughs> it's just four forty eight in Greenville this morning. For four forty nine in Bull this morning, but I have a little teeny tiny car that gets really good gas mileage too. Like 40 miles per gallon is, is the key back and forth from home, and then I just jump into the pickup truck. I have a regular size vehicle that maybe doesn't get all that great of gas mileage. Anyway, my strategy is now I just fill it when I get to a half a tank. The pain seems less. It, yeah, I understand. So you're turning you, a negative into you a positive. It, you do it twice as often, but the sticker shock's not so bad. So my brother drives a diesel, and he said he's been doing that because, you know, the uh, pump only it cuts right, off at yeah. like 100 or 125. Yep. So he said he has to fill up at half a tank or it'll cut off before he can fill it up. Who's going to land the first graduate student? There's a good question. Obviously, you, you both probably have projects. Somebody got a line on a graduate student already? I've, I have one, a Mississippi State undergrad right now, that uh, she'll be here in January to start. I've got a graduate student starting this fall. Um, he finished his degree in May. He's spending the summer doing an internship, consulting, scouting. Uh, Dalton Witt, he's originally from Greenville. He lives in Cleveland now just graduated from delta state so he'll be starting in the fall he's going to look at rice seating rates and then how do we manage our rice if we change our seating rate recommendations uh where do we go from that do we need to look at each variety individual or hybrid individual and all seating rate everything to do with seating rate complete program is going to be his master's work i guess i was going to say those listeners that don't know when jason and i started there were very few graduate students on this experiment station i mean i i think i can think of two yeah there were probably wasn't even a handful <clears throat> that's right there were there were two and there was a postdoc about the time we started and fast forward i don't know that i could tell you how many graduate students are on this experiment station right now it's probably something on the order of between 12 and 15 Corey, I figured when you came that we were probably at that was a peak. around our peak number. I, I, I mean, think was, that was around peak. I was I was under Jason Crooks, and I think by the end of my first year, I think he had six graduate students on the crew. I think you had three or four. Three or four. Bobby had yeah, three I had or four. Two. Tom had two. Etymology had, had you know, a platoon. Six or eight or ten. Yeah, they had their battalion <laughs> out there to 
attack bugs. And where you'd asked about how do we how do we try to sell Stoneville within the grad students? One thing I've I've used and tried to tell potential grad students is you're not in a true college town, so if that's what you were looking for, this wouldn't wouldn't fit it. But I consider this one of one of the best places to come to grad school. Uh, and, and get a degree and, and work and learn just the, the number of experiences. Uh, I know when, when Hunter and I were both grad students, Jason, you were taking Hunter out on extension calls. I was doing extension calls with crews, doing field days, getting all that set up, and, and the exposure to industry and all that graduate students here get. I don't think I can name a, a single grad student that, here that is finished without at least one job offer on the table. And I, I think most of them have have had multiple job offers that they've been they've been deciding between. Uh, and, and so that's one thing I kind of try to use is just that exposure within the industry in the name that Stoneville has. You're not going to find that in very many other places. And then the MAIC meeting, I use that too, and tell them like, "Hey, look, I'm every July I'm going to send you to the beach for two or three days," and that 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 seems to perk their interest. Just from a networking standpoint, that's very beneficial for any student, and and really, I mean, that's the thing I think about every morning is is my office is a place you rarely see this time of the year, and I think we all struggle with that situation. On rainy days or days when it's wet, you're in your office a little bit more juggling all the things to put out all the fires, but at the end of the day, you can walk out the door, jump in your truck, and be in your plots in about two minutes. And that's of having that proximity to where you do the bulk of your work and then being able to do all your plot work right there. That you can't. That's something I think that sells this place y'all are definitely moving in the right direction when it comes to that. And that's, that's pretty important. So either somebody did a good job mentoring you or, or you just have caught on to, to how this all kind of comes together. You know, it's well, one of the great things about being in Stoneville is like you said, being so close to your research. I mean, it's very easy if you're spread out to get bogged down, just traveling to the research so that you can get everything done get all the data collected that you need to do. With everything being right here so close, you know, you can get done with things a lot quicker in a lot, you know, timely manner. And then that frees up time. Like Corey pointed out, I went on a lot of field calls throughout my Ph.D. program with Dr. Bond, which is what I really enjoy doing. Um, And being so close to my research, I was able to get that done and have time that I could go do that with him where I wasn't doing a lot of traveling in the summertime. Uh, As far as traveling to the classes in the fall and the spring, we're not real busy with research at that point. So, you know, it works out better to me. I think I would rather do my traveling when I'm not busy trying to keep up with research. And and that's a good point where where I've been before. There were multiple farms around the one town. Now, you know, if you were in a truck, it may take you 20 minutes to get to the furthest farm, depending on red lights and traffic and everything. But if if you had to drive a tractor, I mean, there there was one day I— drove a tractor right through the middle of Tifton. That upset a lot of people in town. You know, also with us, if, if we run, want to run a location in Starkville or Verona or Brooksville or somewhere else, there's other faculty at those locations that we can work with and, and they can help run and 
and, and that saves a, a lot of time too. Hunter, you mentioned a project that you had that you'd have a guy starting on next year. So it sounds like you're starting to get a little clarity on things that you want to do. So why don't y'all just take a minute in the in the time that we have left and just give some folks an idea of the kinds of things that you're working on and maybe things that you've seen since you started doing stuff, you know, out in the field this year and lead into new work for next year. You know, for me with the seating rate stuff, that can go one of two ways. You know, we haven't really evaluated our seating rates in a while. Uh, I think with a lot of our newer cultivars, we can go down on those seating rates. Obviously, you don't want to go down too far because then you take out some of your security net there. But an, another thing you can look at with that is how low can we go for like a replant decision? So, you know, Dr. Irby does a good job of explaining it with soybeans. A lot of times, you know, a low stand late in the year, you're better off keeping that than replanting because of the potential you've lost from planting date. Uh, and, you know, that's something we can look at with rice too with these lower seeding rates. If we have April planted rice, you know, and it's, it's a very low stand, is that going to be – are we going to be better keeping that April planted rice than trying to plant rice the end of May, 1st of June to get a better stand is one way we're going with that. Another thing is looking at row rice a lot, wanting to get into looking at different herbicide programs. All of our herb, herbicide programs are divine, designed for uh, flooded rice and then also the fertility for the furrow irrigated rice. We're doing a lot of stuff with that. We've got a big field set aside that we're only doing fertility work in with row rice, looking at a lot of different things. And then, you know, you've got uh, a graduate student working on it as well, doing a lot of stuff in that field. You know, narrowing down the row rice, looking at updating some things with flooded rice is kind of the route I'm going at the moment. For me, I uh, haven't had a lot of extinction calls yet. I've done a few. But so so looking forward, sulfur is still still a big question. One I've had a lot of questions on. So we have, uh, have some corn trials looking at different sources, rates, timings, that sort of stuff. Going forward, keep working there some, looking uh, – Maybe to try to do some work, reevaluate some of our nitrogen rate recommendations in corn, uh, and, and try to look at them as a, a systems approach where we've got some more splits in there, kind of a little more. Uh, you know, a lot of our growers now are making a V2 nitrogen application and then, you know, a V4 to V6, and, and the Delta especially flying on a tassel shot. and I feel like some of our recommendations may be a little bit high. If we're doing more of these splits, they, they might have been developed more for a one-shot. We're going to put everything out at V6. In cotton, plan to do uh, some potash work, uh, a lot of potassium fertilizer work. That's that's uh, from growers I've talked to and talking to, to Dr. Brian Paralisi, especially late-season Potassium deficiency is, is one thing we're seeing more of. Uh, so next year, the grad student I have coming, she'll be working on a project uh, where we're going to look at some timings on granular potash application and then uh, at some different rates and then supplementing those with foliar uh, potash applications later in the season, see if we can give a, a little boost 
soybeans. I've got another grad student that I'm talking to. Uh, she may be coming up, uh, coming in starting in January as well. Uh, really interested in a project we have. I have going uh, starting this year, looking at total nutrient uptake of soybeans. So it's very very similar to Brian Paralisi's dissertation work, but where he looked more across herbicide technologies generally within the same maturity group we're looking at a a group four a four and a half a five and a five and a half and the, the thought on that one is you go in and you look the work that most people are citing when they tell you about nutrient needs of soybean that was done in illinois or iowa or somewhere in the north and, and they were using mid threes i think they were you know, 60 bushel beans. And so, you know, my thought is these four and a halfs that, that we're growing uh, most commonly around here and pushing, you know, 75, 80 bushel yields consistently, we're probably pulling more nutrients than uh, than what that work from the Midwest showed and uh, see if we can update that and then maybe help define nutrient needs based on uh, what maturity group uh, we're planting. And Corey mentioned, you know, changing things for maturity groups. With rice, if you look at, you know, the past few years, just the amount of ver- new varieties and hybrids that have been released, I think in this position you could get bogged down just evaluating all those as they come to the market. Uh, you know, LSU's released a few here recently. University of Arkansas released a couple. Mississippi State just released a new variety this year. Um, industry is releasing stuff left and right. So I think, you know, just getting a handle on that and having an idea of what the options are and being able to inform people, you know, if they go with a certain one, how to manage it, what's going to be the best way to go about that. I think you could get bogged down just doing that type of stuff if you wanted to. So that's one of the things, you know, I've been trying to balance is, looking at all the new stuff that's coming out while still also looking at some of our older issues. Well, I know I'm certainly grateful that both of y'all are here and uh, look forward to working with you, have enjoyed working with you up to this point in the year. And I know that first year, I don't really remember it, but I remember (laughs) it probably not being all that smooth. That's been a long time ago now. I honestly didn't know what I was supposed to be doing and wasn't doing what people thought I would be doing. I still don't know if I know what I'm doing, Tom. I, yeah, I'd focus on like kind of a George Costanza-esque type situation. 